Hello, sisters. Welcome to the table. You're listening to the Adorno Podcast, and I'm your host, Julie Charles. The series that we're going through right now at Grace Community Church is a series entitled Rely. And one Sunday, Pastor Kevin encouraged us to read the book of Job and First and Second Peter. I would echo that encouragement. As some of you know, I've been teaching my way through Job and First and Second Peter in our Bible study, and I think they're fantastic books. As such, I still would encourage you to read them, but today I wanted to bring you a sort of intro to Job to perhaps, perhaps whet your appetite and motivate you to read it for yourself. If any of you are familiar with Job, it's a rough book. It's one of my favorites, but it is rough. It is a journey from the pit of despair to the heights of heaven. It is, in its few pages, a picture of all people's lives. No, we aren't all experiencing the exact specific things Job faced, but overall, it is a picture we all face. It encapsulates our very existence on this earth and attempts to help us grasp the magnitude of God. Now, we will never be able to entirely comprehend God. If we could do that, that would make us equal to God, which is simply not going to happen, even into eternity. But he is constantly revealing more of himself, shaping our understanding through his spirit, and giving us an ever-clearing picture of himself. I imagine if I had to take a poll and ask, what do you think the book of Job is about? I think... And I could be wrong, but I think the answer I would hear the most is about Job's suffering. When people think about the book of Job, they think suffering. And for good reason. That man went through a lot. Throughout the book, we see every side of Job's suffering. The physical, the mental, the emotional, and especially the spiritual. Modern psychologists have narrowed down the stages of grief to disbelief and shock, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and finally acceptance. Not necessarily in that order, but that displays itself throughout Job. We also see his well-intended yet miserably misinformed friends try to comfort him. There is one friend who speaks truth and points everything back to God, and if any of you have ever gone through pain, loss, and grief— which I'm willing to bet if you live on this earth, there's a good probability you have— you may see a little of yourself in there somewhere. Everyone has their opinion about why Job is written. Several authors and commentators have the opinion that it was written to give deeper answers rather than superficial ones for the reason why God permits tragedy. And while I don't disagree with that, I don't entirely agree that that's why it was written. Because as we'll see at the end of the book, God never answers Job's question of why. He never says, this is why you suffered. The only why answer God gives is in the manifestation of himself. From chapters 38 through 41, it's as if God says, Job, did you forget who I am? If you knew who I am, you ought to trust me. Let me show you who I am. The entire answer from God to Job is a manifestation of himself in nature, weather, creation, seasons, and cycles. It seems to our limited human understanding that this is a loaded non-answer. It reminds me of Moses when he asked God what he should say when the Hebrew people asked him who sent him, and God responds with, Say, I am sent you. An absolutely loaded non-answer. Which in that non-answer, 
is the answer to every question, but also the question of why this book was written, that we may know who I am and trust him. So the poll I mentioned at the beginning, my thought was that most people would say it was Job's suffering or even perhaps getting blessing through suffering. And while I would agree that that is a theme, I want to challenge that opinion that that is what the book is about. Now, perhaps it's splitting hairs, but I'm willing to stake a claim and make the distinction that that's not what the book is about. It's all about God. This is to show us more of the sovereignty, the majesty, the all-knowing, all-sufficiency of God. God uses Job to teach us that suffering comes to all, righteous and unrighteous alike. Your righteousness does not protect you and exempt you from earthly danger and suffering. He also uses Job to show us that he and Satan are not equals. Even Satan has to bow to the control of God. Satan cannot do more than what God allows. God always has been and always will be in control. He shows us through Job that his strength and comfort are available to all who put their trust in him. He challenges our assumptions and definitions. He shows us what it means to define good by his standard instead of ours. But ultimately, this book is about shifting our focus off of ourselves and onto God. God does not exist for man, but man exists for God. We are God's instruments, and we exist to carry out his plans and purposes, which transcend our limited understanding. Now, while that is entirely true, and it is the true reality of every situation, when we find ourselves buried deep in the mire of loss or depression, it is incredibly hard to remember that truth and live it. There was a time in my life, not so many years ago, it it seems, but really it's been about 20, which on a separate note made me gasp a little, when I felt like Job. A little background about me. I was raised on a farm in Ontario. I've known what it is to work and work hard and to lose things. We lost crops, equipment, income, and animals on a fairly regular basis, so loss was not a new thing to me. However, I found myself in the depths of it when I was 18 in my last year of high school. A good friend of mine, who happened to also be our pastor's daughter, was away at college and was on her way home from babysitting one night when she was killed by a drunk driver. Fast forward a year and four days, and now I'm 19 and in my first weeks at Spring Arbor University, and my best friend from back home, who also happened to be dating my brother, was killed three miles from my house when she ran into a piece of farm equipment driven by my dad's cousin. No, my circumstances were not at all the same as Job's, but some of the cries of Job's heart that we read about throughout this book were the cries of my heart. And like Job, I found myself getting to the point of saying, why me? Why did this have to happen to me? Those why me pity parties became a little too frequent, and I went to see the university chaplain, Ron Capico, to talk things out with him. He was a godly wise man and said something that, I, that has, I think, forever changed my outlook. One afternoon, I went to see him and said, why me? And he looked straight in the eye and with a fatherly gentleness, yet firmness, said, why not you? 
I'll tell you, I was not at all immediately changed. Quite the opposite. It stung and I was a bit mad, but as the Holy Spirit worked on me and brought clarity and awareness, why not me has changed me. Who did I think I was? Did I really have it in my head that I shouldn't have to go through hard things? Did I think that I was that special that I should never have to deal with difficulty? Did I think that those friends were mine, my possessions, and how dare God take them from me? Now, granted, I was 18 and 19, so I didn't even have a fully developed brain. But when I look back on that time, I think I thought, as Job's friends did, that if I was good, I would not have to face hardship and suffering. For a while, I tried to think of what I could have possibly done to cause this to happen to me. What sin could I have committed to bring this calamity on my head? Then there was also this sense of entitlement, that I was owed something. I didn't deserve to go through tough stuff. I was a good kid who followed the rules. Then, with those three words from that man, I realized this isn't about me at all, is it? All those things I was feeling and thinking, that was an untried faith and selfish flesh speaking. What began with those losses was a transformation in me. I was raised in a household of faith. I was at church three times a week and twice on Sundays, as they say, but I discovered that my faith was my parents' faith. What began with that loss was a faith that was real, true, genuine, and my own. I felt a little like Joshua at the end of the book where he says, Choose this day whom you will serve. I had to decide that fall. Am I clinging to him or am I pushing him away? Through absolutely no strength of my own, I clung to him. If any of you have experienced that spirit strength to do things that are opposite what your flesh wants to do, you know what I'm talking about. And I think it was that same spirit that was in Job that when he found out that he had lost absolutely everything, he arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. And that same spirit enabled him to say, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. God has given me the view that, while I would never wish suffering on anyone, the good that comes from it, knowing God more, is absolutely worth whatever trial I have to endure. I said in the beginning that this book was a picture of all of us, all our lives. More specifically, it is a picture of our life in Christ. As is the picture from the beginning, this is a redemption story. This is God giving a picture of what he's going to do by sending his son into the world. This is also a picture of what every believer experiences when they are called by God and give up their lives to him. In the beginning of the book, we have death. Lots of it. Death and loss and destruction. Job quite literally loses everything. All ten of his children, every animal he owned, every servant that served him, save the ones that survived to come and give a report of the destruction. All of his property and children are gone, and his health is taken as well. Save the breath in his lungs, he is considered a dead man. Throughout the middle, we have mourning and burial. We see him lamenting the life he had, burying what was, putting it out of his sight. 
we see his sight shifting from all that he's lost, slowly making his sight full on God. And we see God renewing that sight, giving him the eyes of faith. And the end is the resurrection. There is restoration of his lands, properties, and children. He is reborn into new life, and he is doubly blessed, more than in the first part of his life. This is a shadow of what was to come when Christ came, died, was buried, and resurrected on the third day. And it is what every believer participates in, their birth to new life. The old man, or the flesh, is put to death. It is buried out of sight, and we are raised to new life in Christ. Now, while God didn't give an answer to Job's question of why, God, in his great love and kindness, does give us an answer. In Job, we see how everything looks like it's going wrong from an earthly standpoint. But God gives us a view of himself and his goodness and what he deems good. When we have lost all else except him, we have everything we ever need. Isaiah 22.5 says, For the Lord God of hosts has a day of tumult and trampling and confusion in the valley of vision. It is when we are brought our lowest, when we are deep in the valley, when all is stripped away, that we have the clearest vision of nothing but him. Elizabeth Elliot said, I am not a theologian or scholar, but I am very aware of the fact that pain is necessary to all of us. In my own life, I think I can honestly say that out of the deepest pain has come the strongest conviction of the presence of God and the love of God. First Peter tells us that that suffering is to refine our faith. First Peter 1, 6-7, he says, Though for now, for a little while if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Spurgeon tells us that we must expect trial, because trial is the element of faith. Faith without trial is like a diamond uncut, the brilliance of which has never been seen. A fish without water, or a bird without air, is a faith without trial. That faith is a gift from God, and it is a weapon that needs to be hewed out in the fires to be strong enough to wield at the enemy. The privileges and promises of God are ours if we are willing to participate in his death, burial, and resurrection. If we are, he tells us to be strong and courageous. He is with us and will fight for us. Our gift of faith from him will require testing to strengthen and purify it. The reason is to make it real, genuine, and strong so that you continually grow up into maturity and be ever formed into his image. And as you're doing that, you proclaim him, bringing others along with you, all for your good, but ultimately, most importantly, for his glory. Thank you for joining me this week. If you have any questions or comments that you would like to pass along, or if there's a specific topic that you'd like us to talk about, or if you'd like a written copy of any of the episodes, please email us at adornopodcast at gmail.com. Join us next time at the table.